Hi, Kim. Are you okay? I'm good. Good morning. Good afternoon for you. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah. The sun's shining now. I can see the sun shining behind you. So you brought the sunshine here. Hope you're doing well, Kim. It's been a while since we've um, connected on like face-to-face -face, uh, sort of. So yeah, good to see you. Good to I see know. that great smile. I'm so happy to see your face. How are you? Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. So Kim, I wanted to get in. So We've got obviously the um, panic attack course, which is now available, which is fantastic for the community. And we have the code for them, which is DLC Anxiety. But I just want to take a few steps back before we go into the course and just really, um, just really start off with your story for people who don't know it. So obviously you're a CBT therapist with a twist. I, I always think it's not your regular CBT therapist. You've got that twist of self-compassion, mindfulness, and how you link the two together. Can you just give me a brief explanation of, of how you went about that? So obviously you became a therapist and what made you want to link the two and, and yeah, how did it blossom? So yeah, I was uh, lucky enough to get an internship um, when I first started as a therapist, as a CBT therapist. Um, but I quickly found, as I was going through my own recovery in anxiety, that my clients were really, really hard on themselves. As I was finishing my master's degree, I was seeing sort of a broader category of people. And yes, a lot of people were really hard on themselves. But I think that when you're being taunted by anxiety all day, it's really for that to sort of turn into a very self-critical voice and so I was going through my own recovery and my therapist was pushing mindfulness and self-compassion I was practicing it seeing massive growth so I was starting to practice on using it with my clients um, and I love it I think that um, it's a really it's a missing piece in recovery. Um, a lot of you don't have to have self-compassion and mindfulness to recover but I think mm -hmm. sort of it sort of speeds it up and supercharges your recovery, which is why um, I try to sort of lace it through as the core theme of all of the work. So all of the courses, we sort of make a commitment at the beginning where we're going to say, like, we're going to do this kindly, we're going to do this compassionately. No, that's wonderful. Um, and I've got a few questions on it, just from like the last post that uh, we reposted from you, which was the wonderful um, tips from your community on how to deal with a panic attack. And there was some questions that, that arose, uh, which would be really great to get your, um, your insight and knowledge on. Uh, firstly, they all loved the ABC technique. I, that was definitely the favorite uh, with the community. Um, if you just want to briefly just explain what the ABC technique is and how people can implement it in uh, scenarios where anxiety is high. Yeah. So I actually learned this once when I was training for a marathon. We would run with friends and you'd just get so bored because you're running on the same streets. And so we would play the ABC game, which would you'd pick like a theme like movies or, or fruit or vegetables or foods. And then you go through the alphabet, A for apple if you chose fruit, B for banana, C for, uh, you know, cucumber, it's a fruit. And so you would go through the alphabet. Now, when you're panicking, um, you're usually so like zoomed into like what your experience is and what your thoughts are and how can I get away from it. So you can use this as a tool to sort of help you zoom out and be present 
start to think about things outside of just what's happening in your brain. So you can just play that game, not to avoid fear, not to make it go away, but just so that you're not so hyper-focused and so hyper-aware of the panic. Yeah, one of the questions that popped up, um, so like 19, and it, it wasn't a negative, but 99.9% of the people are loving everything about it and can really relate and find um, techniques that work for them. But one person said, um, how can I be self-compassionate when um, I should be approaching panic attacks um, with the reason why they're occurring and getting to the to the root of that, not not trying to be mindful in the situation when it's impossible. Like you just mentioned, when we're overwhelmed by these symptoms, how can I just be mindful or how can I just distract myself to, to an ABC technique if all I'm worried about is getting away from, say, they're in a shopping mall or driving or wherever it is? Uh, what would you say to that person? Well, I think, I think, again, we need to, when we're panicking or we have panic disorder or generalized anxiety, we get so zoomed into the problem. And, and that, you can do that for brief periods of time. But really, the goal is to zoom out and sort of look at the big picture and look at the patterns that this disorder is causing. If, of course, your natural instinct, if you're panicking, is to run and avoid it or to freeze. So that's a natural instinct. No one should be ashamed of that or, or feel like that's wrong. But if you look, the running away, if it's becoming a panic, if, to, this, if it's becoming a pattern of you trying to quickly wrestle with it and get it to go away, you're actually re enforcing that cycle and I use a lot of that in in psychoeducation in everything I do is you have to look and see is the way that you're responding to panic making it worse for the long term and we know that avoiding does make it worse for the long term whereas mindfulness is your ability it's it's a it's not going to make the panic go away but think of it as an a very effective way of you staying in the discomfort without running away. And by doing that, you're actually training your brain that we're not treating this like it's important anymore. Every time you have a panic attack and you treat it like it's so important and so dangerous, every time you do that, you're actually training your brain to be more and more and more afraid. Well, that's so, yeah, you're reinforcing the belief if you've never ex experienced how the panic attack would, um, how it would like progress in the situation you're in. So if, you, if you're in the car or in the shopping center and you decide to, to leave, you don't actually get to see that, well, yeah, it does, it does reach this high point, but then after a while it'll start to come down. It may go back up, but it'll start to go down. You don't get to experience that. So the avoidance, like you said, really pours fuel on the anxiety disorder and can really get you stuck in this cycle of, being afraid of going into situations where panic attacks may occur because you don't know what the outcome is. And we know with anxiety, um, it tells us the outcome is, well, death <laughs> in most cases, it'll be telling us that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I actually did a post on this just like, I think just a couple of days ago where panic, its job is to tell you, like it will tell you you're dying. And your mm -hmm. job is actually to reframe that and go, no, it's uncomfortable and it will rise and fall and it is temporary. And I'm going to actually ride that wave out 
without responding to it as if it's all facts because it's not it's not facts it, you know panic is not that much different to depression they both tell really bad lies and so your job isn't to engage in that that sort of narrative of lies and instead just allow it to rise and fall um, so just going back to that question from the person who was speaking about self-compassion, would, would this self-compassion tie into actually in the situation of the panic? Or are you speaking about like self-compassion of um, really changing that inner critic of, well, we can deal with panic attacks, we can deal with anxiety symptoms, we can deal with the situations where anxiety arises? Or are you actually talking about being within the panic and trying to find some self-compassion within that moment yeah both so so think of it this way self-compassion is simply treating yourself how you would treat someone else if they were in that exact position so if someone else was in that exact position you wouldn't like be like what the heck is wrong with you like why are you acting so ridiculous you would go oh mm. i see you're suffering like how can i support you how can i help you as you again get through this right so so it's doing it's it's a lot of sort of self-coaching and talking yourself through things but in a really kind and respectful way instead of a dismissive like judgmental way um and that shift isn't and it's not just like oh like you're you know you're off the hook and everything it's also going okay, what your brain is telling you isn't true, right? Like if mm. someone was really suffering and going, oh my God, I'm dying, you would probably say like, well, no, like, you know, you're not. And let's actually engage back into the things you value. Let's take a walk or let's be, you know, get going with the, the, the dishes or the, the dinner we're making. So it's not just gentleness. It's also setting boundaries with fear and panic as well so that you don't let fear and panic just run the show mm. no that's wonderful and tying it actually into when you're panicking why you say it just imagine you've got your, your best friend with you there and it's them who's having the panic attack and then how would you speak to them and, and how would you engage with them and we often say that in anxiety don't we how would you treat your best friends well we when we speak about the inner critic mm -hmm. uh, would you say these things to your best friend and the answer obviously is no and um, so the anxiety course which was delayed because you wanted to get it 100 percent right which is fantastic it just shows the amount of effort that you put into the community because you want to get it 100% right, which I really admire. Um, can you talk me through um, why you want to, because obviously there's anxiety and panic attack courses out there that we've seen um, up from many wonderful people and that are doing a great job, but you wanted to put a twist on this one. And yeah, can you just uh, explain to me about the course, what people would get from it? Um, and, you, well, we know how they can get it, and that's by clicking the link in my bio and putting in DLC Anxiety as the coupon code because you decided to give them a discount. But, yeah, can you just give us a brief uh, explanation into that? Sure, yeah. So uh, you're laughing at me because the inside story is I – I basically sit down whenever I write a course and I just say, okay, what exactly would I say to my clients? And I record it exactly that way. So I recorded the entire thing. And just as we were going to launch it and I was, I was planning, I was like, you know what? It's still, I had the self-compassion thing laced all the way through, but I was like, the emphasis is still not enough. So I wiped the whole thing and I started again. No, yeah. <laughs> because because I... the thing is, with, I'm, with, I'm with the client, we're 
they're getting my compassion as well. But when you're taking a course, you're not getting that from the one-on-one. -on -one. So what I wanted to do is we, at the first, we make this massive commitment to practicing compassion every step of the way. And that was the real shift I wanted to make. So the course is all the skills I would teach my patients and the way that I train my staff. It has, it's all cognitive behavioral therapy. We look at the, you know, we look at your thoughts. We look at all the aspects of anxiety and panic, right? So we look at thoughts and we look at sensations. Uh, we do inventory of behaviors that aren't benefiting you. And then we go through skills that you can use for each of those, right? And then at the end, it's got a workbook. I made this really beautiful workbook, which I love. Nice. The workbook at the end will help you to put together a plan. So it'll help you sort of ask questions and get you sort of thinking about these things. But like I said, that emphasis is really at the front end, which is we are making a commitment to doing this kindly every step of the way. It's not just for the duration that you watch the course. That's a commitment we make for like your long-term recovery, right? Because recovery mm. is bumpy. It has ups and downs. Um, and you have to really be ready for those ups and downs and be there as that supportive person when you do have the downs because they do happen. Yeah, and we get asked the question a lot, don't we, about recovery. So once you recover from an anxiety anxiety disorder, does that mean you don't deal with anxiety? Or does that mean that um, you're never going to feel anxious? Well, the, obviously, we know the answer is no. And we also know the science behind anxiety disorders is that if you've had an anxiety disorder, you are more likely to have that again in the future. But that shouldn't be something that should be worried upon because we're, we would be hitting that with all the knowledge, firstly, that we've recovered from anxiety uh, and all the tools and experience of going through that. Um, so, yeah, there's so many questions on anxiety recovery. And like you said, re the recovery is up and down, but that's because life's up and down. And there's so many things that can occur that are often out of our control. Yeah. So the, the final part of the workbook is we call putting it together and we have like just a week plan. And I'm a big believer in every week sitting down. I dedicate about 40 minutes a week on Monday mornings where I sit down and I create a plan for the week, not just for my anxiety, but for my life. Right. I, I try to be very intentional going into the week. So even no matter where you are in recovery, whether you're fully recovered or you're just at the beginning or in the middle, that that weekly plan is just a template you can print it out and use it over and over again at like, what are my priorities this week? How can I be more compassionate? What are the things I'm gonna face this week? Or what are the things I need to work on? So that's sort of the piece of the work, right? It is ongoing. Mm. And you can be using these, the truth is, these mindfulness and self-compassion skills are like skills for life. I teach them to my children. I teach them to my, my staff. Like they're skills that we all should be using any day anyway. So when someone has anxiety or depression or both and they, they, they find it hard to get out of bed or they find it hard to do anything, how would you encourage them to, to put that structure in place that you said is so important? But I know, obviously, from the experience of the community and past experience of how difficult it can be just to, to put a plan in place, never mind to execute that plan. Uh, what would your advice be to someone who say, who, yeah, who, can't take that step at the moment to put a plan in place. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's again why I redid the course because that compassion piece has to be there first. And we have a lot of research that once you get a really solid self-compassion practice, you're actually more, you're less likely to procrastinate. You're more likely to feel a sense of motivation because the words you're using towards yourself are kind and motivating instead of mean and discouraging. So that piece, we've got tons of science that self-compassion is a massive key to motivation. Um, mm. But we talk about okay so we talk about baby steps in the beginning of the course and in the beginning of treatment usually anyone who goes to a cbt therapist they're going to be doing a lot of assessment and getting a lot of data what behaviors are you doing what's getting in the way how is it impacting your life and so really you would just look at that and pick the smallest thing and start there um, that's really where we go and you might need to practice it many, many times before you feel at all skilled at it, and that's okay. And with the course, who would you say is aimed at? So is it aimed at people who can't access therapy, or is it aimed at people who, who could use it with the therapy? Um, yeah, who's the target audience um, that you want to benefit from this? Yeah, so here's the thing. Um, my whole goal with CBT School is to help people who don't have access to therapy. Interestingly, a large majority of the people who do take this, this course is new, but other courses I've made are people who ha are in therapy or have had therapy and they just want like a new set of ways to look at it, right? They just want to feel mm. like excited about it again and get at it from a different way. So it, it could be wherever you are, really. I was surprised. A lot of people said, oh, I've had therapy, but I just wanted to hear it from a different person and a different perspective. So I'm sure this may be the same for people. Here is one thing, though, and I make this really clear, is this is not, you won't just watch this course and get better. Like, mm. I want really clear there you know I, I've I, the only way that you get better is usually putting it into practice right so that's really important to know right so I want to be really clear for everyone it's for anybody really um, who wants to learn skills this is very skills based um, but the recovery comes from applying the skill and like you say, anxiety recovery, if only we could just watch something and then recover, how beautiful would that be? I mean, it would, yeah, it would put the biggest smiles on our faces. But unfortunately, you've got to put in the hard work in the most difficult times as well. When, like you say, you've got this inner critic that's turned up telling you that you're isolated, you're alone, that you're not going to recover often. And then you're often trying, well, avoiding the situation, especially at the start. And also, if you're, if you're not well up on the anxiety symptoms, you're scared of these physical symptoms. Um, so it can be a lot to, to get going, can it? So, yeah, that's wonderful that, that it's open to anyone, which is fantastic. Um, I've got some questions here, Kim. How are we doing for time? I was just trying to look for the clock. What time are we on? Uh, we've got 12, 12 minutes, but it's fine. 12, fantastic. Um, let's go. Well, fantastic question. Um, why do automatic negative thoughts make me so anxious? And how can I practice mindfulness? Yeah, so 
So you have the thought, and as soon as you have the thought, your brain assesses for whether that's dangerous or not, right? If it thinks it's dangerous, it's going to send all this cortisol and adrenaline and all these hormones out throughout your body because it's thinking, like, let's get her out of this danger, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why you feel so anxious. Now, the trick here is you have the thought you cannot control. You have the sensations of anxiety you cannot control but you can control how you respond to them. So you could respond by going, oh my gosh, you're right, and run away. Or you could respond by getting still and staying still. You could respond by fighting it and resisting it. Or the new, new option is to just be an observer of the thoughts and an observer of the, the sensations. I'll tell you a story. Yesterday, I had a client who was like, absolutely not. I cannot tolerate this discomfort. And so we just broke down the sensations one at a time. Like just, I said, tell me, pretend I'm an alien. I've never heard of anxiety in my life. And I just want to understand what is this thing you call anxiety? And, and she was like, okay. It was like, it's like a tightness in my chest. And I was like, okay, let's, can you just be an observer to that without making like, Let's say that it's neutral and it's not negative or positive. It's just neutral. And let's just practice it being neutral. Mm. Well, we can do that, right? Like, I can do that. I can do that for a couple of minutes. All right, cool. What else do you feel? Uh, massive butterflies in my tummy. Okay. So let's actually, let's actually think of that as neutral. Or maybe we could be curious and go, it's kind of cool, right? Like, your brain thinks it has butterflies in its tummy. Like, that's interesting. Can you imagine it that way? Oh, I could totally tolerate that for two minutes. And so we're breaking down each one. And when we make it neutral, you can actually see that you can tolerate immense degrees of pain or discomfort mm. without running away or resisting from it at all. So that's mindfulness, observing it, being non-judgmental, allowing it to rise and fall on its own. Um, just to add to that, so you said that obviously you get the thought and then you get the anxiety symptom and then you can choose your behavior towards how you react to that anxiety symptom. Is there a way of stepping in before the symptom so you get the thought and then change the behavior so the anxiety doesn't occur? You can sometimes, but I usually don't encourage people to get into that war because now you're in an avoidant compulsion trying to get rid of sensations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you have a thought and then you label, so let's, you could break it down. It depends. So if you have a thought like, what if I die today or right, let's just say it's like a basic intrusive thought. So you have that and you go, huh, that's interesting you actually may reduce the amount of cortisol and adrenaline that your brain pumps out. So if you're really mindful and quick at that and really dive in with radical acceptance, well then yes. But mm -hmm. often in the early stages, it's anxiety is like thought sensations really quick. It can happen mm -hmm. so fast. So don't get into a wrestle with trying to make fear go away. In fact, I always usually say like, let's use this as an opportunity to really like I'm allowing all the sensations. Like I'm not afraid of any of them anymore. And often in therapy, I imagine that you have people come into you who have the physical sensations and you actually have to work back and see what's causing that. And they don't actually realize that it's an anxious thought that's then created that, um, that feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm 
-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if someone has really severe sensations, we actually use exposure and response prevention with that. And we practice exposing them to the sensation. So if they, let's say, hate the hot flustered feeling, I would say to them, I want you to go to the sauna every day. And I want you to practice really tolerating that compassionately and mindfully. And what they find is like, oh, I actually, when I do it on purpose, it actually doesn't scare me anymore because I've trained my mm. brain. It's not a danger. Mm. Yeah, I did something similar um, with panic attacks, which was I do high intensity cardiovascular exercise in the gym, knowing that the symptoms obviously um, are very relatable. And that really helped me and trained me to know that, well, guess what? Your heart can raise, you can be sweaty, you can feel a bit lightheadedness and everything's okay uh, when you're in a gym setting. So how about opening your mind up to when you're panicking that it's okay also uh, which was really helpful um i'll get through a couple more questions kim while we have you um one second I like this why is that yes why is anxiety so paralyzing uh, what can people do to work to get past those feelings right so again it, it feels paralyzing because it's actually just your brain doing its job, right? Your brain mm -hmm. has many important pieces and your the part of your brain that detects danger, it, that's its job. Its job is to constantly be looking for maybe what ifs, right? And so it's, that's why it feels so debilitating. If you have an anxiety disorder, usually your brain has a difficult time pumping the brakes on that part of your brain that's sending out all the danger alarms. <laughs> So that's why, in fact, we don't want to yell at your brain for that. We actually want to sort of thank it for, for its work. And then you can step in and say, okay, thanks brain for, for mentioning that possibility. But right here and right now, I'm moving in this direction. Uh, what was the second part of the question? Because I can't see. Uh, it just says, why is anxiety so paralyzing? What can people do to work to get past those feelings? Yeah, so it's very similar, right? So you commit to being kind every step of the way. I'll walk you through the steps. Then you practice being in mindfulness with this sensation. So you're observing it, you're allowing it, you're not judging it negatively, right? And you just, again, think of it like a wave, like you're just allowing it to rise and fall. For me, I just keep reminding myself that this is temporary and there's literally nothing I can't tolerate right? The mind of an anxious person, and I know I've been there, is I can't tolerate this. This might destroy me, right? And the mind of someone in recovery is there's really nothing that I can't tolerate. And so I want you to be thinking, like, imagine what would the recovered version of me do in this instance, right? And be Im imagining that you can actually do some imagery work around, like, if I was in this situation where I had panic, let's actually imagine how I would just stand there and allow it to be there. Mm. And I would, you know, fumble, but I'd still talk with people and try and engage. So that's sort of the work. If you're really struggling, you would then do some exposure by practicing it over and over and over and over again. What I used to find really interesting is that if you're actually in a situation where it's not a perceived threat, like in an anxiety disorder, where it's a real threat, so 
I don't know, say you come in, say there's a dog in front of you and you need to run because it's going to bite you. You never remember, well, I had high levels of anxiety in that situation. You remember the situation because of the danger and you are so thankful that you got away. So it's, I always find that interesting that you really, you don't, you don't focus in on those anxiety symptoms, which are the exact same symptoms that you would be getting um, in an anxiety disorder, there's just no dog there and it's a perceived threat, but the brain reacts in exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Two more questions, Kim. Have you got time for two? Mm -hmm. um, why does my heart race when I'm being yelled at? Yeah. So when you're being yelled at, that same part of your brain deep in the middle of your brain, it's an almond shaped, it's called the amygdala, your brain has perceived that as a threat. Now, if you're being yelled at, that's kind of a real threat, right? Your brain's like, <laughs> could jump on you or, you know, and so naturally, your what happens is your brain goes, okay, this could, this could get out of control, whether that's true or not. Let's just say you're in a regular, normal, we all have arguments and so forth. So let's say you're having a regular argument, your brain will determine, okay, this could be a threat. It then sends a message out to your body to increase your heart rate because your body, your brain is preparing you so that if you need to run, you can, right? It's preparing ahead of time. Now, mm -hmm. if you were in a setting where someone was dangerous or you were out in the park and somebody, you know, threatened you in some very serious way, it would do exactly the same thing. Your body is so smart at preparing you to run and fight but also sometimes your brain sets off alarms when really there isn't a threat. Yeah, fantastic. And one more, Kim, and then I will let you get on with your day. Thank you so much for obviously spending time with the community and answering the questions and letting them know about this amazing course, which I know a lot of them will find very useful. I can't wait to hear the reviews. I'm sure you can't. Have you, have you had any reviews coming in? Because I know you've had it on your platform for about yeah. a week, is it now? Yep, yep. No, so far, really good. A lot. The, the cool thing is a lot of people are at the beginning are like, let's do this. Let's go. I'm ready. And that always makes me so happy. Well, that's fantastic. So the last question is, how can one be open about anger if one is an introvert and also want to get rid of, it says, intrusive thoughts? Want to get rid of anxiety. So how can one be open about anger if it is okay? and also want to get rid of anxiety. Okay, so, so they, f they find it hard to open up because they're an introvert and how can they deal with intrusive thoughts? Yeah, so whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, anxiety kind of plays out the same way, but it can be more difficult for those introverts who struggle to sort of, you know, be in, in, in existence with other people. So a huge part of the work of anxiety is willingness, right? It's willingness to be able to tolerate discomfort. A lot of people right now are having this with COVID, with it being opening up. People are having their sort of return back to being in around other people and other people's emotions. And the world is very upset right now. So absolutely. The thing to remember here is if as you do this, the whole time you're like, I don't want this anxiety, I don't want this discomfort, you're actually, again, you're reinforcing that this is a dangerous scenario. So your brain will just in, like create more anxiety. I always tell to say to my clients, I really think about it is 
every time you have anxiety and you're like, I don't want this and you're trying to push it away, you're actually almost injecting yourself with more anxiety mm -hmm. because your brain mm -hmm. is interpreting anxiety as a, a threat. So again, it's very much to do with willingness. Can you willingly be open-hearted and compassionate to whatever discomfort you're feeling, whether it's anxiety, panic, you know, intrusive thoughts, whatever it may be, whatever the experience, can I really be willing to allow that to be here while I engage in what I'm doing? Well, that's wonderful. And just regarding the introverted part of the question, so if they're finding it hard to speak to others, and we know how important and how, um, well, it was great for my recovery, opening up and, and moving from this inward rumination of physical symptoms and thoughts and getting it out in the open, um, if they find that difficult to do with friends and family, would you would you advise something maybe such as journaling, getting it out on a journal, um, what, what other things would you advise to them? Well, I, usually when we do an assessment with someone at the beginning, we actually ask them, what's your learning style, right? How do you, okay. what works for you? So some people are really good at like journaling, getting things out. Some people really need to speak it, right? Mm. And so, you know, they need to sort of say it out loud, process it in that way. Introverts don't tend to be that way. Other people, they need to see it visually, so they draw it out. We have lots of clients who spend a lot of time, um, you know, really trying to express their self through art and creativity and sometimes mm -hmm. even things like script writing, right? So you, you write your fears into the script and so forth. So, so it really depends on what kind of um, way you process information, and that can help you, you know, to tailor it to your specific, you know, likes and wants. Fantastic. Well, Kim, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. The course is live. If you click the link in my bio, use the code DLC Anxiety. Kim's give us a exclusive discount, which we obviously love so much. Um, yeah, thanks, Kim. Great catching up and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. So great to see you.